In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. You are listening to A Psychic Story, a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every other Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Hi, everyone. We have Gary Ramsey here today to talk with us about his extraordinary experience with the other side and how that catapulted him to not only just share his story with others, but what that looks like for us and how he gives back. So welcome to the show, Gary. Oh, thank you so much, Nicole. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, so you have an incredible experience and story, and we'd just love for you to kind of start from there. I mean, what happened that got you into, you know, just your overall journey with the spiritual world and and the other side? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I got a surprise on nearly five years ago. My anniversary actually is coming up this month. And uh, I went to the doctor and I was told that I could die at any minute. Oh my gosh. I know. At first, I really honestly thought he was joking. I, I truly, to this day, I almost started to laugh, except he just looked so uh, terrified. And I was like, what? I, I couldn't even understand it. And he said, you really, you could die at any minute. And I said, how? So um, he explained that I had cancer, first of all, kidney cancer, renal cell cancer. And I, uh, I said, yeah, but you know, people usually get like, you know, two months or three years or something. Right. (laughs) Yeah. He said, um, well, he said the kidney cancer is not your problem. And then I, I kind of was like, wow, well, that's weird. Uh, why is it not a problem? He said, because it grew a tumor and the tumor is extraordinarily deadly. And I said, really? And he goes, yep. It's gone through your renal vein and up toward your heart. He said, these are very deadly tumors. They're, they don't happen a lot. They're extremely rare. He said, yours is extremely large. He said, and I have to tell you, I don't think you're going to live maybe even past this evening. <laughs> and I just looked at him like, oh my gosh. Oh my God. How long was it that you had? So obviously you knew you had had, had the, you know, the kidney cancer and that, you know, from that standpoint, you were going to your physician and your doctors and you were getting tested. So, no, 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 no. I found out I had kidney cancer at that appointment when he told me I could die at any minute. Oh, okay. I knew something was up, but I wasn't thinking death. I was thinking, you know, perhaps I had cancer. 
I was not really sure, but you know, I was not expected. I, I was not expecting what he told me. So that was really very shocking. And um, he said, I got to tell you, the best thing you can do right now is get all your affairs in order. And he said, because uh, we have a bigger problem. <laughs> and I'm like, what? How can you have a bigger problem? Oh my gosh. And he said, um, he said, I'm afraid anything they try to do for you is going to kill you. And I said, you're kidding. And he goes, no. He said, I don't think there's anything that can really be done. He said, according to everything I know, he said, the only hospitals that can handle you are Sloan, Kettering in New York, or um, Hackensack has a cancer hospital. He said, they may be able to take you. He said, but those are your only two options. And he said, frankly, I think the minute you walk in those hospitals, you're not walking out. That was my day five years ago. And um, I was in shock, as you can imagine. But uh, my key to spiritual and my psychic started right there in the office, where all of a sudden, as we were discussing everything, I just all of a sudden blurted out, could I have all my test results? And he was like, oh, well, yeah, if you want them. And I said, yes, I'd like them. Now, I had no idea why I asked him, because, of course, there was really nothing that could be done. Uh, He already told me if I went to the hospital, I probably wouldn't come out. But for some reason, I just wanted them. So immediately, somebody was there with all copies of my report. And um, he said, please let me know if there's anything you want me to do. He said, um, I would suggest contacting the hospital first before going there. Uh, He said, they're not going to be able to prepare this in a day or two. He said, because they're going to have to find a specialized surgeon. He said, and I have a feeling uh, you're not going to make it that far. Well, at least he was honest in his professional opinion. But geez, (laughs) that doesn't give you very much, uh, (laughs) very many options. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, that was really uh, a salvation. Him being that honest with me was completely my salvation. Because when I walked out of his office, there was a little park there. It was a beautiful day, by the way. Just gorgeous. And I walked to the park and I was seeing all these little kids playing with their, you know, their nannies or their mothers or their fathers and all these people in this park. And all of a sudden it hit me. Oh, my God. Anyone can die at any minute. And I know we all kind of understand that. But this hit me like like as one of the most profound things I had ever ever uh had ever come to me we take it for granted when it's not impacting us Mm -hmm. exactly and i thought any one of these little kids could run out in the street get hit by a car anything could happen a car could come careening into the playground and all of a sudden when i made that realization i just went into this state of bliss and that's the only way i can really describe it i felt really literally transported so much so that I was there with all my documents and I just sat on this park fence and I had one of the most blissful, most peaceful, most transcendent experiences right there on that park bench. Why do you think that is? Because like, what were you tapping into? I think the fact that he had told me there was nothing I could do, that there was no um, saving me, had just thrown me up against the wall and I just completely surrendered. Mm, which is very powerful when you surrender completely. Absolutely. And I was in that state. And I got to tell you, I still to this day can't even believe that he had just told me I was going to die. 
because it didn't feel that way at all. And then uh, what snapped me out of it was uh, the name of a woman, Anita Morjani, popped into my head. And you're familiar with Anita Morjani? I am. I don't know if all the listeners are, but she's fantastic. So I would love for you to just give a little bit, little bit of background about her. Sarah, so Anita uh, was a woman who was on her deathbed in a cancer hospital, dying of um, stage 4B lymphoma. She was at the end stage of her cancer, and she had had a near-death experience. And in her near-death experience, she realized that she could actually come back and heal her cancer. And after being in a coma for over 30 hours, she did exactly that. She came back into her body, and within days, her cancer completely disappeared while under, you know, a doctor's care at a cancer hospital. So that story, she had written a book and I had been a big fan of hers. Oh, probably already for about three years because I, got, I was one of the first people to get her book and I would promote it all over the place. And all of a sudden on that, on that bench, Anita came in to my mind and I thought, oh my God, she was on her deathbed. And she was able to do something. Maybe I can do something because I'm not on my deathbed. I felt actually really good. I was very mobile. I wasn't in a tremendous amount of pain. That's also why the diagnosis was so hard to find. And um, I thought maybe there's something that can be done. And so with that, I started, you know, calling people immediately. Everyone was in disbelief. Nobody could believe it. Everybody was like, no, this has got to be wrong. Uh, you need to top, you know, another opinion. Of course, this guy was a specialist and, you know, he was supposedly a top opinion. But anyway, uh, so I was walking home and all of a sudden when I got home, uh, the next thing was that I got this thought about Farrah Fawcett. And I remembered that Farrah Fawcett had been flown to Germany shortly before her death. And that Farrah, um, at the time, I, I was confused about that. And I asked a friend of mine who was very keyed into, you know, science and medicine. I said, why would they fly her to Germany? And they told me that Germany had some of the top cancer treatments in the world. So I, that thought immediately came to me as soon as I got to my door. And I thought, oh, my God, Germany. Why don't I look up Germany? Because I never thought about going out of the country. If the state doesn't feel they can do much, why don't I try someplace else? So I went up on the computer and sure enough, as I was, you know, going through clinics in Germany, a pop-up uh, came up on the side of the screen of this really beautiful place. That's a medical clinic in uh, Mexico called Sanavis. And I saw it and it was so gorgeous. It looked like a white palace. I thought, oh my God, if I am going to die, that's the place to die. <laughs> and I popped on that and I started looking at it. And all of a sudden, they were talking about special cancers that they deal with. And I thought, oh my God, you mean that they, they might have something there? And then I'm thinking, this is so weird. So I just kept looking at it. And then as I kept looking, I got too excited. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to call. They had a toll free number to call. And sure enough, I get on the phone with a woman. They have a representative here in the States for um, patients going to Mexico. And I explained to her, you know, my situation. And I said, you know, they're telling me I have this deadly tumor, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, oh, yes, we're very aware of these tumors. 
And I said, you are? And she said, yes. She said, because um, they're really not, uh, they're, they usually prove fatal in the United States. I said, yes, that's what they're telling me. And she said, well, but we have a treatment that we've been very successful with. And I said, you're kidding me. And she goes, no. She says, no, they are very serious, so we can't guarantee anything. But we have a much better success rate with these tumors than they do in the States. Would you be interested in um, talking to our doctor? So I said, absolutely. Yeah, what do you have to lose at that point, right? Exactly. I thought, oh, my God, there, you know, why should I even bother going someplace else? So I thought, well, I filled out everything. She uh, then all of a sudden says to me on the phone, you know, everything would go a lot quicker if you had your medical records. Do you happen to have them? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Which is why you asked for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, yes, I have them. I actually do. I have them all. She's like, oh, my God. She said, most people don't. And I said, no, I asked for them as soon as I got the diagnosis. She said, really? Oh, my God. She said, well, when did you get your diagnosis? And I said, about two and a half hours ago. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she, was, she was laughing. She said, I can't believe you had the presence of mind to ask for that. I said, actually, it just came to me to ask for my records. And I did it. And I didn't even know why at the time. So here I had the records. And she said, well, this is going to save us a lot of time. And I said, good, because I don't have any to waste. <laughs> yeah, like, as my doctor said, it could be any minute. <laughs> <laughs> could be any minute. So uh, so we quickly got onto that. It was, a, it was a process. And then I did find out that they were going to have to review my case. And then they were going to have to, they, they have a board that reviews the cases out in Mexico. And then they, if they feel that this will work, they uh, accept the patient. And then I was going to be able to come feel like I read this a long time ago, but apparently like Germany is because they don't have quite as much like the Western kind of medicine mentality. Correct. You're going to die and that's it, right? That that's kind of their mentality. Yeah. In Germany, they have um, private clinics out there that are very cutting edge. Germany doesn't follow the same jurisdictions. See, in the States, and I won't say this on the interview, the FDA and the pharmaceutical really hold everything here in the States. So my my treatments, um, so Germany, uh, by the way, has one of the top cure rates for cancer in the world. Wow. I found that out later. Yeah. But they have some of the top treatments in the world as well. And the reason the clinic popped up was because uh, the guy who built the clinic in Mexico modeled it after one of the German clinics. And so that's why the whole... That's how the whole thing works. Okay. Just so you know. Okay. <laughs> they uh, approved me and um, I got there as quickly as possible because, of course, I didn't have time to waste. They immediately told me what to do so that I wouldn't have any problems on the plane, uh, which, believe it or not, one of the key things they told me is they said, don't eat anything with sugar in it. Even though all foods do break down some sort of sugar, they said stick with vegetables and all kinds of, you know, that until you get here. And uh, they said the tumor will be fine. It, it will not fracture. And so I did. Everything worked out great. And I got there and it was a paradise. It is a medical paradise. It was everything and more than I actually thought it would be. And really, I still to this day can't believe how I found it so quickly and so effortlessly. 
Well, your guides and angels definitely were looking out for you to say, this is where you need to go. Oh, absolutely. And again, the remembering of the lab test, the seeing the thing on the computer, remembering Farrah Fawcett. I mean, there were just so many things that were just, it was like I was supercharged with psychic ability. It was amazing. Had you ever had anything like that before, like the intuition or the psychic abilities? Okay. I actually had, you know, I've been a practitioner of that. I've, I've always believed in it. My grandmother was very gifted in it. Um, but not to the level of this episode of my life. This was, this was above and beyond normal. I think it would be above and beyond anybody's experience, but yeah. And there was something about the whole death factor that really heightened everything that went on. And so being at that facility was just such a healing experience. As a matter of fact, um, they don't call you a patient. They call you a, um, uh, a guest. You are a guest at the facility. They don't denote between sick people or well people because they also run a spa. You are in with other guests. Extraordinarily beautiful. Um, because I was considered a high risk, meaning that, you know, something could go wrong and I could die immediately. I had special, uh, you know, I had special people that were assigned to me. Um, but I had a group of doctors. And then we started to work on getting the tumor to what they call stabilize itself, which means basically that it toughens up and it will not fracture. Because that was the biggest problem is when they would remove it or it's fracturing. If it's fractured, it would go to my heart and stop it. A piece of it could stop my heart. So that was really the danger, the most dangerous part of my journey. And this stabilization process that they used worked. And they were actually able to extract the tumor completely safely with no effect whatsoever. I did lose the kidney, which I was told, you know, by my initial doctor here in the States, he said, you'll definitely lose the kidney. But he said, you're probably, you know, you're going to lose your life. Uh, It's not really, you know, the kidney is irrelevant. So that really was the extent of that journey. And there were... So many things that happened on the journey when I got there, where I connected to various people, various things. I learned that more and more as I trusted myself and I used my mind, that I was really having a conversation with my spirit, with my organs, with my kidney, with my body. And that was really a startling realization for me. I developed a full relationship with that kidney and I kept calming it down when I would go through bad episodes. I could get it to, you know, be much calmer. I was able to, I would talk to it. I had a relationship with it and I, you know, kept telling it, you know, we're going to just get through this. It's going to be just perfect. Don't worry. And sure enough, the surgeons even said, oh my God, This was probably one of the most perfect removals of one of these tumors that I've ever witnessed. And they do quite a few of them there. So question for you on the cancer side. So I've heard that cancer tends to be residual anger that's not released that typically, you know, then manifests in the body. Do you find that to be true? Absolutely. And uh, for for, um, kidney cancer, 
kidney cancer is surrounding also a lot of fear. The kidneys are representative of fear. And I had in my life, uh, I had had a really rather busy, strenuous schedule because not only am I a teacher and uh, teacher of voice and Alexander technique, but I was also an opera singer. And my opera career was becoming very difficult to manage. So I was getting highly afraid and fearful of keeping up. I had unbelievable schedules. And it was like, I didn't want to, you know, disappoint anybody. So um, I now in retrospect realize that that is really what caused that kidney to go. Absolutely. And you don't realize that when it's happening to you in your life, because sometimes like you're just in survival mode. Correct. I agree. And like you said, like you're leaning so much on your body. And I love the fact that you had a conversation with the different parts of your physical being and your physical body, because we don't necessarily do that. And I hear a lot about monks and other people that do practices of being able to calm certain areas. I mean, some people to the point where it's almost like your heart stops, but it's not really. It's just so slow and going that we don't realize the power of the mind and that we sometimes lack that communication with our physical body. Absolutely. And a lot of people, and I realized even myself, that until this experience, how much I did lack of communication with my body. And it was extraordinary. And let's face it, we know organs are alive. I mean, they can do a heart transplant from someone else. It's alive. So all of a sudden, it was like, oh my God, of course. This is so simple. But it was going through the experience that really brought these things to the fore in my life. As a matter of fact, I tell most people, having that deadly cancer and nearly dying was probably one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given in my entire life in my entire life. Well, I can, yeah, I can't imagine because not only are you grateful and you are in that moment and are just thankful for everything else that you're experiencing, but like you had said earlier, it gives you that ability. You surrender. You're like, I'm not in control. There are only certain things that I can do to control my life, but ultimately at the same time, you're not. So it's almost like a weird dynamic that you have to be able to give in and release and at the same time still be able to say, know that free will aspect of where you are right now and you are the master of your own destiny. Absolutely, I agree with that 100%. And you really are. It's a balancing act that you're doing. And when, and especially with me being at a point of potentially dying, that put a different spin on it. And I also realized that I had to make friends with death and I did make friends with death. I totally accepted the fact that I could die. Um, even Mexico said, you know, this could fail. We, you know, it may not work. Uh, your case is severe as these are often very severe. They said, but um, we really feel uh, you have a better chance here. So I came to grips with death. I had a will. I had everything set up. The one stipulation Mexico did make me do was they said uh, I had to have a family member there. In the event that I did die, they said we can't have an American body in a you know foreign country without a representative. And it's got to be somebody who has legal ability. So my sister was there for the operation. And um, it went absolutely better than I could have ever planned it. It was really one of the most stunning events of my life. What did you do to prepare for the operation itself? And did you experience anything while you were, you know, having the surgery or while the surgery was being done? Absolutely. Um, 
to prepare, again, it was all mind, mental, and emotional. As a matter of fact, one of my first consultations with doctors uh, when I got to Mexico was um, the psychologist. And they, the first question they asked me is they said, well, Jerry, how are you feeling about the possibility of dying? So at the center, they really don't pull any punches. They go right for the healing. I love that. Who does that here in these in the United States? Like it's like, hey, we're gonna just put you in surgery and hope for the best. And hope for the best. And um, they kept telling me and urging me. They said, "Look, how you and are, are are you know working with this? How you are thinking about this is every bit as important as what we're doing medically." And so, you know, we, we it really taught me so much on a level that I really had never had any experience with prior to that. So I was just astounded with the abilities. And that's when I really realized that people are either contributing to their healing or they are blocking their healing. And most of us are doing it, of course, unintentionally, because we don't realize how powerful we truly are. And even in Mexico, they said, look, you know, you can give us all the credit you want. They said, but ultimately at the end of the day, you're the one that got you through. They said, because we've had patients where this didn't work and they were, you know, in better shape than you were. And they, um, their psyche and their emotional and their spirit just kind of got too overwhelmed, too fearful. And I'm now a very big believer in, I can't, uh, I counsel a lot of people with cancer. And that's one of the things I really, you know, talk to them about is their fear. Are they on top of it? If they are dying, have they really come to grips with death? Have they really come to grips with, you know, the potential of, of, you know, the pain or what may happen? Because if they haven't and they're in fear, I can pretty much tell you that things will not go very well. Not, or at least it won't be easy, that's for sure. So that really was the greatest blessing of my entire journey. And uh, now I, you know, I, I, I live life in a completely different way because I no longer feel subject to any of that. And as a matter of fact, what you uh, asked before, when I was in the surgery, I had a feeling, although this happened to me with one other surgery when I had an appendicitis when I was a kid, I had a feeling of being suspended in a void. And that happened to me the same way in my other surgery, this void. I'm just conscious of being in a void, suspended, like floating in dark space. And um, when I came out of that void and I was in the recovery room, I didn't realize it. And I actually thought I had died when I woke up in the recovery room. And I thought that because I had seen an apparition in the corner, or at least I thought I saw an apparition. And I really thought I was in another dimension. And I'm sure the drugs also helped. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say that probably helped for sure, but... (laughs) Yeah, they absolutely helped. And it was at that moment when I thought I had died that I was so happy and I was so euphoric. And then somewhere within that, Because you felt, why were you so euphoric just because you were like, okay, it's over? Yeah. And it was like, well, it didn't work and now I'm going to death and I'm okay with that. 
because I had been so well prepared before the actual surgery. To make the peace with it, yeah. Yes, and that whatever way it came out, it was fine. And um, then I realized, oh my God, I'm not dead. I'm actually alive. And then I was euphoric once again. (laughs) So it was kind of a win-win situation because I went through both, you know, the, the, the dying part and then the being alive part. And it was like, and to be honest, they were equal to each other. I was no more happier be, thinking that I was dead than I was thinking that I was alive. And that, I have to tell you, has been the blessing also of my life because I no longer have any fear of any of the negative things that happen to us in our world of disease or sickness or dying. And to be honest, I feel like in these last five years, I've lived more fully than I ever lived in all the years prior to that. That has really been the blessing. Yeah, that's like that country song that says, uh, live like you were dying. And it's the, we forget again, that we have these moments, these opportunities to truly live our lives. And ultimately, we do have choices, like you said, whether we realize we're making them or not, whether it's on a subconscious level or what have you. But we're also, as I've said several times on the show, spiritual beings having a human experience, not the other way around. And when we realize that, that gives us so much more empowerment and opportunities to, I believe, make changes in our lives that enable us to be, you know, more empowered, more of the light and heal ourselves. Absolutely. And the blessings just continued and continued and continued um, to the point where then, um, you know, I still had cancer and they they turned around and said, well, we have this new therapy we're going to use on you. And I said, well, what is it? And they said, well, it's this serum. We're going to inject, we're going to make it out of your tumor and we're going to inject it into you. Like antibodies kind of thing? Like antibodies, yeah. And they said, and you're going to be immune from the cancer. And I said, well, what about like like chemo or any of that? And they said, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. (laughs) And I was like, what? Yeah, I inherently, I don't know how you feel, but I inherently feel that, again, luckily, knock on wood, I don't have cancer that I know of right now or what have you, but I feel like the chemo and everything else is like the way to really break down your body that it's not um, as healthy Mm -hmm. as it could be to fight those things. So I love the idea that they're thinking of other ways or have been using other ways to do it so that your body has a fighting chance against what's happening. Because it's a foreign, your body is just attacking itself, ultimately is what cancer is. Absolutely. And uh, so all of those treatments, it was a serum of antibodies. And now I can never catch that cancer again. I have to get a whole nother cancer. I can't, that cancer can never metastasize in my body, which I just felt was unbelievable. Well, now hopefully you're releasing your emotions and your feelings over time so that you would not be, you know, getting that anyway. But yeah, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. So that was another mind blow. And I thought, oh my God, I couldn't have picked a more perfect place if I had tried, you know. That's so neat that you were there. And then, so how long were you there for total? Uh, it was just two days shy of six weeks. All right. So not long at all. It's not like you were there for six months. I mean, it was a pretty no, progressive, fast. It was a faster process than one would normally think. Absolutely. And it was the pre-operation. Then I had the operation. Then it was the recovery after that. They did suggest that I stay there about two and a half weeks longer because 
My left kidney was the weaker of kidneys. Uh, everybody has a dominant kidney and a less dominant kidney. Uh, one kidney always works far less than the other one. And so my weaker one was the left one. So they just did suggest doing a rehabilitation on it. Is that like your backup kidney? Like the kidney that does less is like, I don't need to. <laughs> and then it kicks in when needed. Exactly. And then it kicks in. So they said, we really should uh, rehabilitate this kidney. So that, you know, you won't have any problem. And so I stayed, you know, a little bit longer, but it still came just under six weeks. You know, really a glorious time, I have to say. Well, that's just amazing. And the fact that your angels and your guides and your higher self and everything was around you every step of the way and that you got that information so early on, but then also throughout the process that enabled you to be able to heal, but then also share that journey and share those experiences with others. So they hopefully can tap into the same thing. So I do have a question. I was thinking about this the other day Uh um, before you and I had actually scheduled this. Why do you think cancer has been around for so long? Like I did not realize until I was like going down the internet rabbit hole on research Uh that it's been hundreds of millions of years um, with, you know, within the human race and everything. And and we still don't have the quote unquote cure for it. Mm-hmm. And we're looking for these answers. Do you have any sense of, and I know you're one person, but in your experience, why that might be the case? I think fear is part of disease. In fact, disease, as we all know, disease, that fear comes in and really distorts the system. And whether that's going to manifest as a cancer or some other disease or tuberculosis or or any of those kinds of things is really about the fear. And I really realized, and Anita Morjani talked about this as well, that the fearlessness in the face of it is really the key to the greatest success. And since my cancer, I have now spoken to so many people who did the exact same thing. They had deadly, deadly cancers. They were supposed to, you know, like me, die. You know, they shouldn't be alive. I've worked now with several of them. And they've all said the same thing, that they just no longer had any fear of the disease, you know, or of dying. And so that is one of the most key components, is to release oneself of death. I really believe even in terms of the Jesus Christ story, that the resurrection is about no longer um, having any fear over the giving up of the life. That when you truly hit that milestone where you have absolutely no fear of it, you become very empowered. And I have to say, I know I was. I felt extraordinarily empowered. And um, even though everybody was telling me I was dying. What amazes me about the whole situation is, and you say something extremely powerful, is that when we look back to why we have fear or have had fear from a humankind standpoint, it was to survive. You know, it was your, the front brain lobe, the hypothalamus, if I'm, you know, recalling it correctly, that that's what gives you the adrenaline, which is your fight or flight and everything else. And that served a very distinct purpose. But now it could be a million different things that are, you know, having us be fearful, some of which we're conscious of and aware of and others that we're not. And it's a matter of being able to distinguish that, whether it is the life or death situation, like you described and coming to peace in terms with it. But then also, as you mentioned, like your career and the opera singing 
and how that was stressful to you. And so I'm curious, like outside of the the journey that you've experienced, are there tips for the listeners and other things that you've experienced that are helpful for us to keep in mind from a day-to-day life standpoint as we're living, especially now during the pandemic, where I feel like a lot of us, you know, are in that fear mode? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what I realized uh, coming, you know, going down the rabbit hole after my experience is that the body, I work as an Alexander Technique practitioner, which is about the mind and body connection in use and function of your day-to-day life. And that when our body and our mind are slightly bothered by something, and it doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be a very small deal. Okay. The nervous system at, which really is your brain system. I mean, let's be real. Like your brain is connected to your spinal cord, which is connected to your nerves. So really it's a brain system. It doesn't read anything differently. When it is going towards the barometer of fear, no matter how small the fear is, even a spider, it doesn't read it any differently as than something deadly. Not in the physical makeup of the body. Only in the mental and the psychological does it read it differently. But all the, the way that the body works, it works on that tiny spider just the same way it would work on a lion. It doesn't really matter, not to the body function. And so what I realized is that if we can get more in charge of our mind and get our mind to calm the body down, we can actually stabilize ourselves in a much better way in order to go through whatever it is we're going through, for example, like this pandemic. And what I've been working with uh, people on is exactly that, that let's say, you know, somebody is, well, and again, what do people worry about? They worry about something from the past or something uh, in the future. And when they're feeling like they're not going to be able to accomplish something, they're letting that little worry grow into something in their body that they don't realize is happening. See, because again, our psyche and our intellect can go, oh no, that's not going to be a big deal. It'll be fine. But if we can address it right away and then really get the body to open back up, um, one of the big things that people don't realize is even when they get surprised about something, there is a reaction in the fight or flight reflex that happens at the top of the spine where the head pulls more tightly down onto the top of the spine. Now, with my work in Alexander, I can tell you people are doing that sometimes all day long, and they don't even realize it. And it's kind of like driving your car with the parking brake on. It's You're really having to push through different energy. So what I work more and more with with people is getting them to really realize how there's little tiny signals in the body that are sending a negative message. And you could be doing it all day long, all day long. Your shoulders could be tight or, um, you know, kind of raised slightly. See, the body is reading those things as emergency, even though you, the person, may not be feeling exactly that way. You tense up most often. I tend to lean to the, like, I like, I hold it in and I lean to the left. And I realized that the other day when, because you're not really looking at yourself and in the mirror when I was trying to do yoga, I was like, why is my body leaning to the left? And you just don't think about it, honestly. No, 
None of us do. Uh, the way we sit at a desk or at our computers, people don't realize that those things build up and they build up over time. And the problem is, is if it becomes a habit, that's when something turns chronic. And that's what I realized uh, with my own, that I was working way too hard to try to please everybody. And I was afraid I was going to let people down. And then I didn't really catch how my body was starting to become, it was just a habit. It was becoming more and more of a habit. And then it's like an addiction. It just kind of slowly took me over. And then it was like, oh no, you know, and I finally caught that. So that is really the best advice I can give to people. And let's face it, if you are on the Titanic, <laughs> right, and you know it's going down, what is getting hysterical or terrified about going to do for you? As a matter of fact, it's, it's only going to make the whole last moments of your life horrible. And I often bring up to people um, the baker. Did you ever know about the story of the baker on the Titanic? No, no, I didn't know. I have not heard this story. Oh, you can look him up. You can look okay. him up. But anyway, he, he went down with the ship. And the reason we know that is all the stories about what went on the ship came from him because he went down with the ship. He rode it all the way down. And he said it just went down in the water just like nothing. And he was in the water and he just started swimming. And he was swimming. They don't know how long, but they said he had to be in the water at least one hour. And he said all he could keep doing was swimming. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the darkness, because there was no light, you know, once the ship went down, he hit a boat. It was one of the rescue boats that had come undone that nobody was in. And they found him the next morning in that boat. And he didn't even have frostbite. Now, how is that possible? I mean, he's famous, this guy. Right. And most oh, my people God. Never They've never talked about him. They never did a movie on him. They never wrote about. Well, no, he's very written about because he was in the court trials. So this man is one of the longest surviving people in that frigid water of anybody else. And they kept asking him, well, how, why did you why did you do all that? And they, he said, well, I just didn't know what else to do. I just kept going. I just kept going. And that was it. And they said, well, weren't you like terrified? And he said, well, no, because I didn't have time to be because I just kept going. I just kept solving the next problem. And there you have it. You know, you can look them up, the baker and the bacon. He's like, my next problem, I mean, I'm going to keep swimming and going in a direction because instead of just floating there. Yeah, that's it. It reminds me of when you normally you hear those stories about people having huge superhuman strength when faced with something with the adrenaline or anything else or you know in that matter or that situation that he was experiencing he just kept going and it's like that sh not just the sheer will of things but also the fact that we have so much more power um, at our disposal that we forget about or, or don't even think that we could potentially even tap absolutely Absolutely. And we've all heard those stories where somebody can do some superhuman thing. And again, the mind, when we go into that other mode, and I think really that's also what happened with me, I went into that other mode. You just tap into a strength of spirit and of the psyche and of, you know, the angels and your guardians. And it just, wham, it just comes in so powerfully strong. 
But the only advice I give to people, especially the ones that have been told they're going to die, is you really have to make your peace with death. It's a, it's a primary component. Every single person I've worked with. And once they really, truly give it up, uh, I will tell you miraculous things really do happen. Well, that's just, I, I love the fact that you were able to tell your story and share it with so many people and um, that you also offer, you know, do you, do, is it classes that you do or is it one-on-one sessions? Like, how do you work with people? I do both. Uh, sometimes I do phone, you know, because I have people that are long distance um, or, you know, uh, Skype or, or uh, you know, Zoom. And um, I work really just uh, discussing things with people and talking about them in being somebody who's faced us and has gone through the cancer. I can relate to them in ways. As a matter of fact, they tell me, Oh my God, I can't even talk to my husband or my wife like this because again, you know, the healthy husband or wife can, you know, uh, it, it's very hard for them to hear certain things. And so that um, gives them a lot of solace just the fact that they can speak more freely. And then they, uh, and then we discuss, like, what do you think is going to work the best for you? I try to tap, tap people into their intuition, into their own psychic ability. And, um, you know, because even if we are going to go down with the Titanic, how do we want to go down? Do we want to go down like a scared victim? Or do we want to go down with the greatest dignity and the greatest potential? And so, you know, most people would say, of course, the greatest dignity and potential and become more of the hero. But unfortunately, too many people are too terrified. And therein lies the whole problem. And that's really what I work with people on. So I do phone conversation. I do everything. I really do everything. I have a uh, and sometimes I see people in person, I meet with them, you know, whatever, whatever we need to do in order to get through it. Do you specialize on and with people that are going through um, like a disease or an illness and then they reach out to you or do you offer other services and, and teachings for people that are not necessarily in that process? Yes. Well, also when I wrote my book, I talk about my Alexander work. So I do work with the Alexander technique. Uh, I offer that to them as well, um, which is a very, you know, it's a kind of simple mind-body technique, but, uh, you know, it does, you have to get the knack of it. And then I um, also, you know, just as support, uh, when they need somebody to talk to that they feel nobody will listen. I did find out that uh, like with my own cancer situation, because I went out of the box and I didn't stay in the United States and I went to Mexico, I had a lot of people that were very, very upset and angry with me. So really, yeah, yeah. And as a matter of fact, I still have a lot of people that have never spoken to me. Why do you think that is? Because they feel that it gets just like a woo-woo thing or it's not like a long-term fix. Okay. Yep. And I was accused of being, you know, uh, cavalier. I wasn't taking this seriously. Well, you're healed and you're living. <laughs> you're healed and living. So I don't know. And I will say, unfortunately, there were some people that when I came back well, that actually made them angrier because it actually proved me right and them wrong. Or at least that was the way they looked at it. And that uh, was very upsetting for certain people. Um, also they were people that had lost loved ones, uh, who had gone through the, you know, the standard procedures were told they were going to die and 
died, you know. So I found that there's a lot of people who have a lot of feelings about sickness and disease. And unfortunately, cancer people, I find out more and more, can be bullied, both by their doctors and also by their family members. Because everyone has an opinion. Correct. And if you're not listening to their opinion, then you're not being honoring of their feelings or something of that nature. That is exactly correct. And I've had, that's been the biggest problem with a lot of my people that come to me. Um, Because, you know, coming up against your spouse or your children is a very difficult thing to do. It's very difficult. And I know because I got, I have to say, I mean, I would really probably say there were only about five people that were behind me. And that was out of all my family and all my friends, just five. And I know a lot of people. So, uh, and then there were people that weren't angry at me, but they weren't happy about it, you know? So, um, because again, you know, most of them thought this is, this is just, um, this is a pipe dream. This is a ridiculous behavior. And yet it, it did work. So, um, that is also what I help people with and counsel people. I also refer them to the book because I talk about this in the book as well. Yeah. And I would say ultimately, if anything, even if you're not going through a situation of cancer or something of that nature, that what's important is that you trust your own feelings and what, like you said, is that intuitive nature of what's drawing you, you know, your truth. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. you can stick by it, even though it can be very difficult with these other outside influences, that you know what's better for you than anyone else out there, whether it's your doctors and everything else. And I'm not downplaying doctors in the medical community mm-hmm. by any means, but if right. you feel that something's not right and your you know physician is saying, oh, not a big deal, like don't worry about it. And you're like, no, it is. Then be loud about it if it's the opposite. And you're like, I want to try this other treatment or something else, like you know what's best for yourself. Absolutely. I am 100% behind that. And that's what I really do is I support them. I had one woman, I'll never forget, I met her shortly after I got back, maybe about three months afterwards. And um, she had a deadly rare cancer. And they didn't even really know what to do with it. But they did have a, a clinical trial that they could have tried with it. However, she was at Sloan Kettering in New York. And they came to her and they said, look, we only have a clinical trial. It's the only thing that might work. They said, but we're going to tell you something. We feel it's probably not going to work and it will probably kill you in two weeks because the um, it will probably destroy your kidneys. So they were telling her that it wasn't going to work and she had no other option. And if she didn't do the trial, she would live probably for a year. So of course, her family and her husband and everybody wanted her to not do it. And um, because they said, it's probably going to kill you anyway. And she came to me and I said, well, why are you coming to me? And she said, because, you know, I had this feeling. And I said, you did? When? And she said, when they told me about the trial, I got a chill through my body and something in me told me to do it. And so I told her, I said, well, there's your answer. And I said, I've only got one question for you. If you do the trial and you do die within two weeks, how will you feel? And she said, I will feel happy that I tried. I said, well, then there's your answer. You've got to do this trial. So do you know that woman is still alive today? And she, this has been now, oh man, it's probably been close to four years for her. And they are now studying her to 
figure out why the trial worked so well on her. Now yeah. she's like one of their, <laughs> yeah. you know, major test people. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, no, for me, again, not a doctor, just play one on TV. No, just kidding. I don't mean to joke about it. But ultimately, mm-hmm. in the medical field or the medical community, they require so much, like, if you have results and you've got to you know, be able to prove it over and over and over again. Yeah. And as a result of that, like, we're all so different. Mm-hmm. You know, we have different backgrounds, mentally, mo- emotionally. Different chemistry. Right, exactly. So, I mean, that's why energy healing and acupuncture and other things work. And some sometimes they don't for, other, uh, for others. But it, like you said, it's all about the power of the mind and that individual person and that, that guest, not the patient necessarily, of what they're going through. So that's amazing that she was able to tap into her own intuition and her own guidance to be able to, you know, heal herself um, and work through the tools that she was given. So exactly. And that's what I tell people. I, I don't care, you know, and I even tell some of them, I said, I don't care if you believe you should go to a voodoo doctor in Africa and have them sprinkle you with the blood of a chicken. If you are really feeling that, as something that's very viable for you, and you have a deep, strong desire to do that, you must really follow that. And so that's really what I advise people, which we're doing right now, really on this interview, that you you are the best doctor you have because you know yourself better than anyone in the world, no matter how much they love you, you know, and that is, you know, one of the greatest things that somebody can do for themselves. Yeah, and not necessarily look externally for the answer, but start and look internally with yourself first. And then then the answers will come. So if you're struggling with something where, well, I don't know where to look, where to go, like I have, you know, all of this, like the stress or the fear, the anxiety that goes into it, or even then, like, I don't have any of that, but I still don't know. Just get quiet, look within yourself, and even just ask for signs and answers, and then the rest of it will follow. Well, I've loved our conversation and anything that we haven't talked about yet that you want to be able to share with our listeners and then also how people can get in touch with you. Sure. Well, um, first of all, uh, yeah, I have a Facebook page, which is the same name as my book, Bliss, One Hero's Journey. And my book is uh, only on Amazon. So uh, I only did it there. And I think the one thing I would just like to say to people is that. None of us know where we came from before we were born. And none of us truly know where we're going after we leave here. So why walk with any kind of fear or trepidation about the journey? Because as far as I'm concerned, it was a journey before we got here. It's a journey while we're here. And it's a journey after we leave here. So why be fearful of any one of the journeys? They're just a different journey. And so that's really what I, I think I'd like to end with. Oh, I love that. And enjoy it while you're there, right? Because that's exactly. what we have here. Because that's all you can do. Exactly. Well, congratulations on your journey. And thank you so much for sharing with the listeners. Oh, and you are so I will include um, your information in the show notes and on the website as well. And just really appreciate you share, giving your time and, and sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you so much, Nicole. It's been a delight to be here. Thank you, Gary. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye now. 
Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at apsychicstory.com. A Psychic Story has a 1-800 phone number now. You can call and leave a voicemail about any questions you may have, new topics you'd like to hear about, or even guests you want to hear more from. The number is 1-800-880-1881. That is 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you. Call and leave us a message. You may even be featured on a future episode.